Welcome to the 356th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 1st, 2023. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also the captain of today's one-man ship. That's right, Carlos is away on assignment. I believe he'll be back next week. But in the meantime, it's just you and me. And since this is October, uh, welcome to spooky season. That's right. It's now October. My son is already planning his Halloween costume. I hope you are planning yours as well if you celebrate. Um, Not only is it spooky season, uh, which means generally you can probably look forward to some horror type games coming up uh, on the podcast here, but also it's silly season. Uh, In case you don't know what that is, that is the term we throw about in video game circles to refer to the last quarter of the year, uh, October, November, December of 2023, uh, where every game developer and publisher on earth decides it's a good idea to release their game in this three-month stretch because they want to capitalize on Christmas money, I guess, where people are apparently like giving each other money and steam gift cards and PSN gift cards and Xbox points and switch perks and whatever, whatever it is that people get on their console of choice, uh, platform of choice. Uh, and so everybody just drowns in game releases and that's why we call it the silly season because it's silly. It's silly to think that we can keep up with these. It's silly to think that we can play them all. It's silly to think that most importantly, we can buy them all. Uh, and reward these developers and publishers for their hard work. I'm already seeing the pace pick up uh, between so video games here and also the stuff we cover at GameCritics.com. I think, you know, we're not a giant operation by any means. We're all uh, very well-meaning people who devote our hard, hard, uh, hard-won time and efforts. Um, you know, we cover about 15 games a week, give or take. Um, you know, that's maybe nothing compared to something like IGN, but that's still a pretty good amount of games. Uh, and that's nothing. That's just like a drop in the bucket compared to what we get offers for. Um, I probably get, oh gosh, way, way, way more offers per day than we could ever devote the time to. So it's silly. Um, and to be perfectly frank, just to get on my soapbox for a second, uh, I think this, and I know a lot of other people think this as well, silly season should just be done away with because is it really true that people get a bunch of extra money during the holidays? I mean, maybe, but like, I think that if you look at the numbers, and again, I'm not a statistician, I don't have any inside info or anything, but I would guess that game sales are pretty constant all year round. Uh, maybe there's a spike in the you know fourth quarter, but... I, you know, I buy games in January. I buy games in March. I buy games in July, etc., etc. I bet you do too. And so I kind of think that this silly season is just a holdover from the early days of physical media where you had to actually like go and buy a disc or a cartridge, probably cartridge. Uh, and back when video games were still seen as, you know, quote unquote kids things. I don't know about you, but as a child of the 80s, you know, I got an Atari 2600. I had a Vectrex. I had the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And at that time, I was a kid, so I did not have a job. I was basically broke. And I did rely on my mom and dad and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas to get me the games that I wanted. So in that context, it makes sense. But games are not kids things anymore. Games are for everyone. Games are for grownups. Games are for little people. Games for men, women. Anyone, non-binary people, gay, straight, black, white, whatever, people all around the world 
play games. And I just don't think the concept of silly season makes sense anymore. I think, honestly, the result of what happens is that a lot of really good, really deserving games get buried. They get lost in the crush. You know, I mean, I only have so many hours in the day. People who write for game critics only have so many hours in the day. Uh, Carlos only has so many hours in the day. We can only play so many things. And just looking at the numbers, there's literally no way we can cover all these. Even if we were to like really cursory, like play them all each for like an hour or something just to say that we tried them, still not enough time in the day. So I feel bad for people who work real hard, devote years of their lives to their game. Maybe this is their passion project and they get it ready for release. It's all polished up. It's all good to go. Hopes and dreams happening. This is it. It's for real. They're going to release. And then it's like right alongside 75 other games in the second week of November. Like, dude, I, I just think we need to get off of this track. I feel bad for anybody like that. Um, and there's only so much we can do. So anyway, long way of saying we are now in silly season. Uh, we're going to keep trying to cover as many games as we can here on So Video Games. We're going to cover as many as we can at Game Critics. But even with all that effort, with all those people involved, uh, it's just not enough. So my heart goes out to those games that we will not have time to cover. Hopefully we'll catch up with you in 2024 and we will just roll up our sleeves and do our best for the remainder of 2023. Okay, um, I kind of kicked it off already, just kind of like organically, but I do want to let people know this is the housekeeping section. It's just me today. So this is the section where I'm going to be covering random bits and pieces relating to games or the games industry directly or adjacently. So I just talked about Silly Season. I'm going to check that one off my list. A um, couple bits and bobs here. Nothing news-wise, although there does seem to be a lot of uh, layoffs going around. So, man... Sympathy and solidarity to any devs out there who got laid off. There's a lot of people got laid off. I think Epic laid off a bunch of people. Uh, a couple other studios I saw were laying off. And as other people have observed, it's really weird because video games is probably the largest earning media industry in the world. And yet we can't seem to give people stable jobs. So I think that maybe their shakeup for some of this, you know, union effort, union organizing that we're seeing, like with SAG-AFTRA and uh, the writer's strike. We're seeing a couple other strikes in different UAW, the auto workers. I mean, people are realizing you got to stand up for yourself because the people at the top are not going to do it for you. So, you know, honestly, I think it's long past time that people in the video games industry stand up and create a union. They need stable jobs. They need stable income. They need health care. They need to not be changing jobs after the end of every project. And these giant companies, you know, Epic and whatever... Uh, Blizzard or whoever else, uh, all the big giants at the top, EA. I mean, they've got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of cash. There's no real reason they couldn't give these people who are so hardworking, who are so dedicated, who bring us the things that we love and enjoy. Developers uh, of all kinds, you know, anybody who's involved in making a game, they deserve to have a stable job just like everybody else. And I don't really think there's any reason we can't give it to them. I think it's just greed, honestly. So if they want to form some unions, I say do it. The time is right because everybody else is doing it. Get on that bandwagon and help yourself. All right. Aside from that, uh, let's get some specific info here. Lies of P, which I talked about last week. It's the third person Souls-like featuring a spin on the story of Pinocchio. Uh, dazzlingly looking game. Love the graphics. Love the style. Uh, I talked about it. Uh, I didn't get too far into it because Cyberpunk kind of um, sucked up all my time, but I absolutely will come back to it. I was enjoying what I saw. 
Uh, news bit for them, they just released a pretty big patch where they're basically lowering the difficulty of everything. Um, the number one complaint I heard about this game and something that I talked about as well was that the bosses were just too rough. Um, I can parry in that game successfully maybe half the time. And the penalty for missing a parry is usually pretty stiff because the bosses hit real hard, they're real fast, and I found them to be very challenging. Um, the only strategies I've heard of for getting past those uh, were basically just like leveling your life up and just tanking your way through it. Um, I heard a couple of people suggest that to me. So thank you for the tip, which I will do. Uh, but apparently the developer must have been listening as well because uh, people were just saying, man, it's just, it's just too hard in some spots. So they're lowering... Uh, the difficulty, like the, the damage dealt by some of the bosses. They are reducing the HP pools of some of the bosses. They are reducing the weight of some inventory objects so that you can carry more of those things. Uh, they are reducing the costs of certain late game items. Basically just a tweak all the way across the board, basically on all the systems that just says, hey, we want you to play this game. We want you to have a good time with this game. We didn't intend it to be that punishing. So here is our patch and good for them good for them because you know i often say on the show people can get really lost in their own sauce you know like if you're a developer and i've heard this and i've seen this so many times where someone just plays their own game so many times that they just get so used to it they're so good at it because they play it for like eight hours a day for three years while they're in development they just really lose sight of like how difficult things are like if you play a game every day you're going to get real good at it. And at the end of six months, you can breeze through a section. And you're like, oh my God, I'm breezing through this. I need to kick up the difficulty because it's not challenging to me anymore. But you have to remember, you're the developer. You made this game. You know it better than anyone else on earth. You've practiced it more than anyone else on earth. Of course, you're going to be better at it. You don't want to tune difficulty for you. You want to tune difficulty for the person who has never played your game, who saw a trailer on YouTube and thought it looked cool. Or the person who had a friend on Twitter say, oh, this game is dope or whatever, you got to scale for those people. You don't want to be blowing people out of the water as soon as they get in. Um, and I've seen it happen so many times. Usually it happens with indies. That's where it's the worst because they don't have the big like QA teams, the big like focus testing that like somebody like a big publisher can pay for. But it does happen to basically everybody. And I'm glad that they listened to some of the feedback. I'm glad that they're going to scale things back. Um, I will say I heard some gripe griping on the other side of this though i was gonna say grousing and then i was gonna say griping and then i was gonna say grising which i don't think is a word but it's kind of a funny word um i do that sometimes do you do that sometimes you like mix two words together like your brain doesn't know which one you want to say so it tries to say them both i don't know maybe that's just a me thing who knows anyway i did see some people grising that uh they were mad that the difficulty got lowered but they were also people who hadn't played it yet uh, people who were like, oh, I'm really looking forward to the stiff challenge and I want to like test my skills. And I'm like, OK, cool. I mean, everybody gets something different from games. I get it. Should this difficulty lowering, maybe that should have been a, a difficulty setting, perhaps. Maybe the developers could have left the original difficulty and then given you like an easy mode selectable at a menu. Maybe. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs and how difficult that would have been. Um but, you know, also, I, I just have to respect the developers for wanting to include more people in the game. I, I, I'm sure it's still going to be a challenge. I'm sure it's still going to be difficult. And to be perfectly frank, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody, but if you're like a Souls aficionado where like you can like do challenge runs or you do like soul level one runs or you're doing like no hit runs or something like that, like you are not 
the the yardstick that we should be measuring by okay like props to you for your skill that's great much respect but like if you're at the the top end of souls players if you actively look for harder things to play or to you know harder modes for you cool like do that like no no disrespect but don't give us a game where that's the baseline right like that shouldn't be the baseline so i i think there's probably a middle ground maybe here but in general i'm very happy to see developers lower the difficulty a little bit and that's not to say that it's easy but just to let it be more approachable um kind of like the developers whose games get lost in silly season i think if a developer gets lost in their own difficulty and puts something up that's too hard or harder than they intended anyway and people avoid it and drop it and stay away from it and caution their friends against it that's terrible too like these these people uh who made liza p i'm sure they worked a ton on this i'm sure they poured their heart and soul into it it feels like a game with a lot of love on display so i bet what they really want is for people to play their game i don't think they put it out as a you know dick measuring challenge to all the souls pros out there that's i mean those games exist but i don't think that this one was intended to be maybe i'm wrong but i don't think so so kudos to the liza p developers for adjusting that and if you're one of the people who's just feeling burned that this game got too easy for you before you had a chance to crack into it well you know you can make it harder for yourself don't level up don't change weapons don't use consumables there's all sorts of stuff you can do for yourself that are guaranteed to make it much much harder uh but that do not like negate that opportunity for other people so if you don't have the self-control to make a game harder on yourself, I just, I, I don't know what to say for you. I guess, I don't know. I don't have an answer. There's probably other games out there that you can find, but kudos to Liza P. I'm excited to hear about this. Um, I only played like really the first big chunk, maybe like 1.5 levels, uh, which was a couple hours. Uh, liked it a lot. Going to come back to it. And I'm very happy to come back to it now because honestly, I was gritting my teeth and bracing myself for this difficulty. And maybe now... I will suffer a little bit less. So cool. Cheers, Liza P. Next info I have is for a game called The Last Orikru. O-R-I-C-R-U. Carlos and I played this one a while ago. I believe it was maybe really early this year or maybe late last year. I can't remember which, but he and I both played it. We talked about it on the show at least two times and we both liked it, but we both had a lot of problems with it. Um, it was kind of like we felt like it should be an action adventure game with RPG elements, but they also shoehorned in a bunch of souls elements that didn't make a lot of sense, like respawning enemies when you go to a save point and um, really stiff difficulty. There were also some mechanical problems with this game. Like it didn't, it wasn't the smoothest combat. It wasn't um, the easiest to figure out where to go or what to do, but we both saw a spark in it. Like we both saw something in there that just needed a little bit of cultivating uh, number one, drop all the Souls elements for real. But beyond that, we felt like there was potential. The developers did release a patch a while ago, and we were hoping that that was going to fix our issues, but it didn't. It just kind of um, tweaked a few things. But this is supposed to be the biggest patch ever. I believe it's also the last patch, if I'm not mistaken. I think the developers probably got to move on to something else at this point. Uh, and to be perfectly frank, I can't imagine that their sales are very good. So kudos to them for continuing to work on something which I have to imagine is is not a big moneymaker right now. Um, but the things included in the newest patch are smoother difficulty progression, uh, in-game map, including nav points and objectives, which we really needed last time. So kudos to the map. Uh, a new hint system, new tutorials, new locations, new puzzles, new rewards, uh, optimized netcode for more stable online co-op, 
improved parry system, improved stamina management, improvements to boss fights, specifically the final two bosses, although others got some tweaks as well. Steam Deck optimization. And I believe they dropped the price of it in case you want to give it a shot. So that sounds great. Um, I don't know that that's enough to get me back into it because as I mentioned um, regarding Silly Season, I'm drowning in brand new games, which not only do I not have enough time for the new games, I certainly don't have time for older games to go back to. Maybe in the first quarter of 24 when we hit a little bit of a lull, when everybody thinks that no one buys games anymore and they stop releasing games, maybe they'll have some time to go back to it. I don't know if I ever will. I can't make any promises. Um... I think that maybe this is one of those games that, for me anyway, had its chance, uh, didn't quite cut it, and we even gave it a second chance, and it didn't quite cut it again, and I think that's probably all the time up at bat we're going to give this one. But if you go back to the show and you like what you heard there, um, it seems like that experience is better. Basically, kind of an open-worldy, in-a-small-world, go-anywhere RPG, third-person combat. Some cool ideas, some cool stuff. Uh, Carlos and I both kind of liked it not enough to stick with it but i feel like this developer's got some good things coming so anyway heads up to the last Arecrew price drop slash bunch of changes seems like uh this is probably the best time to get in if you were thinking of getting in last bit of housekeeping news uh wo long wo long has gotten some new dlc this is their second big chunky dlc package it is called The Conqueror of Jandong, I believe. Uh, from what I saw briefly, seems like more of the same, Where, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you get a couple brand new weapons, which in itself is pretty amazing because the weapons are pretty in-depth in this game. Uh, new levels, new story content, new side missions, new bosses. Um, I haven't dipped into it myself. I dipped into the last DLC and I thought it was good. Um, I wish it had come sooner because... Wolong is one of those games where you got to get in the zone. You know, you have your reflexes going, your muscle memories going. You have your favorite weapons. You know what's up. Um, I basically cleared everything in Wolong except for one particular challenge, which I found to be incredibly difficult. Um, but I did like 99.9% of Wolong. Did some of the DLC. But the DLC came so long after the main game that like I, I had lost the reflexes. I had forgotten what my little tricks were. I had forgotten my favorite moves. And so I kind of like trudged my way through about half of it and i'm like oh, okay this is fun but you know sometimes you just lose that mojo and it's just really tough to get it back uh probably the same for me here again i i think that if i had had this dlc as i played Wolong, i absolutely would have just gone through the whole thing i would have done the whole thing would have finished it all done all the bosses um i would have eaten it right up because i was still on fire still in that zone uh i am definitely not in that zone anymore but i like Wolong still i think it's a great game one of my favorite games of the year um, once you get past that crazy ass first boss. Uh, and I think it's good stuff. So I'm glad that they are improving the game, expanding the game. If you've not played Wolong yet, great time to get in because you'll have these two giant add-ons. And I thought it was just really fucking playable and really fun. Um, so if you have not gotten into Wolong yet, and you're thinking about it, this is a great time to do that. If you have played Wolong and, and are thinking of coming back again, another great time to do that. Lots more content for you. Don't know that I will come back to it for the reasons I just outlined, but I am glad to see the game is being supported. I do think it was genuinely a good experience apart from the first boss, which sucked ass. Uh, and I will probably be talking about it at the end of the year. We'll see. Top 10? Probably. We'll see. Okay, that does it for housekeeping. Let me take a uh, quick moment to myself here. Got to center, center my thoughts, 
center my, my energy and we will push on with the main content of the show. All right. Uh, it's just been a moment for you. It's been a couple minutes for me. We are now in the main portion of the show, episode 356. I've got five games to talk about today, which is not too bad considering Carlos isn't here. Gotta go through these one by one. <clears throat> Excuse me. First up today, Shuyan Saga. S H U Y A N. Shuyan Saga. I'm playing this on PlayStation 5. I believe it is for other platforms as well. This one is kind of a hybrid visual novel. Um, it is basically hand drawn art. Uh, which I believe is done by a, an Asian artist who is pretty well known. I didn't know them myself, but I, people that I talked to were aware of this person's art. So even though I'm not a particular fan, apparently they are pretty well known. Great art, uh, pretty cartoony. I don't know that it's exactly my vibe, but still well done. It's a story of uh, an Asian kingdom where a girl who gets into shenanigans is also the princess uh, she tires of the palace duties and wants to do other things with her life and learning Kung Fu is one of those things. So, um, as you go through the game, this is all 2d still art. So you're looking at hand drawn images and then little text comes up at the bottom. They, uh, kind of go through some story bits and then you'll get a choice. Uh, for example, one of the very first choices is Shu Yan is the, the princess and she's running through, uh, the village market and these guys are like, you got to get back to the palace. And she's like, no, I don't. You know, this is pretty typical boilerplate stuff. Anybody who's ever seen any movie ever where a princess feels trapped by her station in life, that's what this is, basically. So she's running through the market and then it'll stop and it'll have a choice. It'll say, jump over the fruit stall or go through the crowd. And you just choose one of those options. And whatever one you choose, there's like a new hand-drawn uh, picture displaying what happened and then the story continues from there. So it's pretty well done. I mean, it's it's nice. Lots of art, tons of pictures. They don't reuse the art very much, which I give props for. That's great. Um, story, not super exciting. It feels very predictable, very kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't finish it because I got about maybe, I don't know, halfway through or so. And a lot of the story beats were just very familiar, very um, well-worn and expected. Not a lot of surprises. Um, again, didn't finish it, full disclosure. But from what I saw, I was like, okay, not not really drawn into the story, which is kind of a problem in a visual novel. But Shuyan Saga has one other trick up its sleeve, and that is they include combat, real-time action-type combat, which is kind of a cool idea, um, but it ends up being kind of clunky in a way. So there's like two major types of combat. So you do the visual novel stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, for example, in the very first chapter, she's like, I want to fight in this tournament uh, in the village and I'm going to enter. And so you do that through the visual novel interface. And then when you get to the, the combat, there's either one on one combat, which has Shuyan on, I think, the left side and the enemies on the right side, kind of like a little tilted camera perspective. And you like block and you dodge and you do high strikes and low strikes there's also like dialogue combos like hitting like square square triangle square triangle is a certain particular preset combo um it's not the kind of thing where you're kind of like freestyling like in street fighter or something it's like you know you remember the dialogue combos or you just kind of like hunt and peck and go for what you can get dodge as you will 
That's okay. I mean, it's all right. Um, it feels a little kludgy. It doesn't feel super tight and tuned, but it works okay. And I appreciate that it breaks up the visual novel sections. The other part of the combat is sometimes you go to like an overhead where you're actually running around. So in the 1v1, you're just standing in one place. You're basically just facing off with someone. Uh, the overhead stuff, you're like running around a little level and guys are kind of spawning in. And it looks, it's kind of like a like a brawler. Like you're just punching a bunch of dudes that, that kind of swarm you. Um, that works okay as well. Um, again, doesn't feel very tight and tuned. Some of the collision was kind of suspect. Um, I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of just mashing. Didn't feel like I had a lot of uh, really tight tuned control over my character, which was kind of a bummer. Um, so I appreciate the idea to add some other new thing to a visual novel, which I'm always in favor of. I mean, I definitely don't want to just read text. I want people to leverage the electronic medium, do things that would not be possible in another medium. And I think that's what Shuyan Saga does. I mean, they definitely try to do something that just wouldn't be possible anywhere else uh, unless you were like reading an actual book and then you got up and like punched somebody in real life and then went back to your book afterwards, which I guess you could do uh, as long as everybody was in on that. Don't do that <laughs> without <laughs> announcing what you're doing. Um, but overall, it just felt, I don't know, kind of uninspiring to me. And I don't mean that to be insulting or anything. Um, I mean, the art was okay. Not my style exactly. The story was pretty boilerplate. The 3D combat, either the 1v1 or the top-down versions, was just like, okay. Like, it felt very basic. So, I like the idea. I like the concept. But I gotta be honest and say this one did not really light me on fire. And I didn't feel compelled to see it all the way through. I got the measure of it. And I appreciated that they were trying to do something different. But it just... Just did not do that much for me. So there you go. Shuyan Saga. Speaking of things that didn't do a lot for me, I uh, hate to continue the negativity here, but I gotta. Talking about Silent Hope. This is a 2... No, no, no. It's not a 2D. It's a 3D, kind of a top-down, roguelike-ish, sort of a dungeon crawl-ish kind of a thing. Um, somebody told me it was in the Rune Factory universe. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing to you listeners. Uh, to me, I am ambivalent. I don't really play the Rune Factory games, even though I know of them. They're kind of like a Harvest Moon sort of a thing, farming sim and that kind of stuff. This is not that, but it's apparently in the same universe. I don't understand why they would tie it together like that or what the links are. Um, but just FYI on that in case that's a selling point for you or maybe an avoidance point for you, perhaps. Um, so basically Silent Hope is the reason I got attracted to it was because they said it was kind of a dungeon crawl where you're going deeper and deeper into a hole. You have seven different characters that you can switch between and different abilities and skills and stuff. It reminded me a little bit of Fantasy Life. And I don't know if you caught our episodes on Fantasy Life. We talked about it many, many moons ago. I loved Fantasy Life, the game. It was on, I believe, uh, 3DS, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was just like, I, I could play that for infinity. Fantasy life was just like so fun, top down, grindy Diablo like, um, where you just like leveled up skills and got better. And it was really straightforward, but everything it did, it did really well. And you had like a ton of character classes you could switch between and each one had its own progression tree and like own story. Like you were like a, a, a log chopper in one, you were like a chef in one, you were like a tailor in one. Oh, man. Fantasy Life was the shit, dude. Just the shit. I love it so much. So they seem to be kind of like recalling a bit of that Fantasy Life vibe in Silent Hope, which is really what got me. 
Um, there is a sequel to Fantasy Life coming. It's not here yet. And I would love to play something like that right now. So I thought, let's give this a shot. Um, ultimately, I found Silent Help to be solid, I guess, but pretty unremarkable. And it makes a couple of, uh, I don't know, bad decisions, I guess. Um, so basically, you have these seven different characters. There's a story, which I found to be pretty anime throwaway story. I was not very interested in the story. Um, but basically, you take a character class, you go into a dungeon, and all the dungeons are pretty cookie cutter. They're pretty similar. You're just walking around and just killing enemies. There's not really a lot to them, which I guess would be okay, I suppose, if the action was better. But each character only has, I think, a couple moves, like one or two moves. Pretty basic stuff. They're not very... Uh, there's not like a giant skill tree for each one. So don't expect to like be able to specialize or to get you know anything like that. Uh, the real hook of this game is grinding, where you go into a dungeon, you find materials, and you also find blueprints, and then you also find like blueprints for other stuff like armor and weapons or whatever, and then you got to take all that stuff back to the home base, and then you give the materials to somebody to craft it for you, and then once you get the materials, then you put it together yourself with this... It was just like a lot of stuff. It just seemed like there was a lot of extra steps that didn't need to be there. I would have much rather found a weapon in the field and just equipped it as I go and have things be different. But that's not really how it is. They want you to collect stuff, collect resources, collect things in the field, bring them back to town, and then kind of go through that whole system of giving all these different materials to different artisans to make the different things. It just feels like a lot of extra work that doesn't need to be there, honestly. The other thing that was a real bummer was when you're playing the game, like let's say, for example, I start off with like, um, I don't know, the alchemist or whatever, who's got some ranged attacks and it's kind of fun. You level up each character individually. So like if you go to level 10 with the alchemist, but you don't use anybody else, everybody else is still at level one. So it gives you a reason to kind of rotate through them and they all have slightly different play styles, which is fine, but you can't just switch on the fly. Like you have to find these specific save points, um, which can either be used to bring you back to town or you can switch your character and I just was like, why? Like, I want to switch through people more often. Like, I think if you could switch on the fly, it would be way more dynamic. Like, let's say, for example, you're using the alchemist to shoot somebody from a distance, but then you come up against an enemy who's resistant to your shots. You want to switch over to melee. If all you had to do is hit a button, like switch through the, the shoulder button or something and switch to one of the melee fighters, like the punchy guy or the guy who uses swords or something. Boom. That's like pretty dynamic system. Pretty exciting. You can have a lot of tactics a lot of uh, situations in real time where you're just kind of managing as you go. That's not what this is, though. Like, you just take a person, you grind, get the stuff, you get to one of these few and far between save points and switch if you want to there, and then you kind of just keep going. Um, and then when you're done, you go back to town, deliver your materials, grind some more weapons, come back to the thing. It just feels like a giant grinding um, hamster wheel. And I'm not there. I'm not there for that. That's not really what I wanted. It's not really what I like. Um, so I feel like there's a good concept here again. Like I think the idea of going into this deep, deep hole and trying to make your way to the bottom of it is pretty cool. I think having seven different character classes to be able to switch between is itself in general, a pretty cool idea. Um, but ultimately, uh, the implementation is really where it matters. And I felt like I was running the same mission, grinding the materials. And I just felt like I was on a treadmill, like right off the bat. And I don't, I don't want to just be on a treadmill. I have other things to do. I want to feel like I'm making appreciable progression. I want to see some changes in the gameplay. Um, these character classes do advance at some point. I think they each have two different progressions, but I didn't get far enough to really, um, you know, see how that changed very much. It didn't seem like it was going to change very much at all since the progressions each had another two abilities. Like it wasn't, it's all just very small and limited and 
if you want something to just kind of like whittle away at, it might fit the bill for you. But between the story that didn't move me and the many decisions, which felt like, uh, I don't know, just really tedious in the gameplay, I bounced off this one pretty quick. So that is Silent Hope. All right. Up next, we have ooh, a very interesting, interesting one. Um, I don't really quite know what to do with it, and I don't quite think it works, but boy, is it really interesting. It's called The Many Pieces of Mr. Koo, C-O-O. Um, this one is a really knockout piece of animation. At its core, it's a point-and-click adventure game, a uh, pretty short one, and it's really unusual. Uh, the art... Uh, boy, it's a good it's a good year for art, good year for animation, uh, because we had the knockout um, Goodbye Volcano High, which was amazing. This one is also amazing, but in a different way. This is very um, elastic, bouncy, abstract, dreamlike animation. Um, reminds me of uh, some shorts I've seen or some foreign films that were animated where they don't follow by the norm. It's just anything can happen. Um, and the main character... Mr. Koo, he's like a little orange blobby kind of guy. He's super stretchy, has these really like exaggerated expressions, and he's in this like weird dream world. Um, you don't quite know what's going on. I don't think anybody knows what's quite going on here. Um, you start the game and you have a little uh, pointer on the screen and you can point to any objects that you want to interact with. Um, there's usually very limited interaction, usually just one or two things on screen at once, which I think is fine. Um, because I think it's hard to follow the logic of this game. Uh, so for example, like you'll get, I was just doing this uh, puzzle where you are in a dark area. It's like you're suspended in space almost. There's a arcade machine and there's a number of pulleys and levers and switches. And so you have to push the things in the right order to make something happen on the screen. And then once something is on the screen, uh, you push another button and there's a monkey that's outside of the arcade cabinet, but he has like one of those uh, hooks that he will pull somebody off of stage with. And you have to figure out, number one, what are you even trying to do? And then once you figure out what you're trying to do, then you have to figure out in what order do you have to do it. But it's really it's not that simple because weird things can happen. Um Things can become other things like you're looking at a present and you push the present and it turns into like a rocket. And then you like fly on the rocket and then you're falling and then all of a sudden you're like in an ocean and like, you know, like anything can happen. It's, nothing is set. Nothing is logical in the in real world rules. Like it's all dream logic and really abstract. And it's pretty stunning because I think the animation is hyper fluid. It's really cute. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the really, really old like Pink Panther cartoons, Frizz Frailing or something like that, where... You just had a like a vibe, like the, like the way the characters looked, the way that the the action happened, um, just really animated, really uh, unpredictable and exciting, which I think is cool. I love the way this game looks, um, but I have to say I'm not a big fan of the fact that it's a game. I kind of wish this was just an animated short because as I was playing through this, I got about halfway and I'm like, man, I wish I could just not play this and just watch it because that's really what it's all about. Like it's about this incredible animation, Mr. Koo bouncing from situation to situation. Um, like in one section, you're inside an egg and there's a baby chicken inside the egg with you and you don't know what to do. And then you have to like get the baby chicken to kick you. But then when you 
He kicks you, you dodge out of the way, and you grab his leg, and you turn him into a weapon. And the weapon cracks the side of the egg, and then once you get outside the egg, you're riding the chicken, and you're in a desert. And, like, like none of it makes sense. It's all, like, this total, like, stream of consciousness, wild, you know, wild, weird animation stuff, um, which is awesome. I love it. But I don't want to play it because it's... I just, I just don't understand what I'm doing in each section. Um, I think the developers knew this because in basically every screen of the game, they just give you the answer. If you hit the, uh, there's a, a hint book. If you hit the hint book, it just straight up tells you exactly what to do. It's like step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. Step four, do this. And then you get past it. So in one sense, I appreciate that they just tell me because otherwise I don't, I'm not sure I would have even gotten past the first screen because I was really lost as to what was going on. Um, but at the same time, that kind of, to me, just says it's not really the greatest game, which is okay. I, I think it's okay. I don't think this should be a game. I think it should just be an animated short. I think this would kill at like film festivals, animation festivals. Maybe they could do a short, um, you know, for some other production house or something like that. I mean, that would be amazing. I, I really love the way it looks and I love the vibe of it, but it's just not fun to play as a game because I ended up just looking at the hints for every single screen and just being like, well, I don't understand. What am I doing? Oh, hit this, then this, then grab the chicken leg and then swing him. Okay, got it. I never would have thought of that stuff. It wouldn't have really come together. And I don't really like just clicking on things blindly, waiting for things to happen. Um, I got to this other section of the game where you're... I don't even know exactly what you're trying to do. Like, I don't even understand what the goal is. And if you don't know what the goal is, it's kind of hard to get there. But you're like in a desert and there's this house, but the house turns into a hat and then the hat has feet. And then these demons appear and they have these thought bubbles but the thought bubble also has like a pull chain on it you got to pull it to start the engine of his thoughts but then that turns into a green glob which floats in the air and then you got to grab the glob and that becomes a rain cloud and i'm like okay like i like like cool man cool like i love watching this it's awesome but i don't follow your logic and I'm just clicking things and just looking at the clues every five seconds. So I feel like, honestly, this should not be a video game. I feel like, again, just this, just an animated short, short film, film festival entry, something you could download somewhere, watch it on YouTube, something like that. I want to just watch this thing. That's all. So I don't think it's a very good game, but I think it's an awesome piece of animation. Uh, and it's pretty short. So if you like animation or you want to see something completely off the wall check it out. I mean, I think it's worth it from that perspective. If you're especially a fan of animation or, or abstract dream logic stuff like this, I mean, this is tops. Um, I just don't think it's that great a game. It's the wrong medium for this. So kind of a mismatch, but I really did like what I saw. It was pretty cool. So the many pieces of Mr. Koo, not a great game, but a wonderful piece of animation to watch. I mean, and honestly, I mean, not, not like I'm trying to like prevent these people from getting paid or anything, but I think the best way to experience this is probably watching a uh, commentary free playthrough on YouTube and just watch it all the way through. That would be, for me, the optimal way to to digest this. And I guess just send your money to the developer if you do that. So got to reward them for the hard work, I guess. All right. That is Many Pieces of Mr. Koo. Moving on to uh, what's up next here. Oh, Super Adventure Hand. All right. Um, spoiler, I like this one. It's going to be good. So I know we kind of got through some... Uh, Slight bummers uh, up until this point, but from here on out, it's good stuff. Super Adventure Hand is incredibly goofy and weird and bizarre, and I kind of love it, and it's really fun. What is it? 
you play a disembodied hand, kind of like Thing from the Adams Family. You were just a hand which is cut off at the wrist. There's no gore. There's no blood. It's just you're just this disembodied hand. And uh, you have an arm in the beginning of the game. I don't know what happened to the rest of your body, but you have an arm. And then these disembodied feet come through and they steal your arm. I don't know why. I don't know what they're doing with it. Maybe the arm becomes a leg. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Uh, what does matter is you're going to be going to abstract 3D platformy puzzly levels where you play the hand who climbs around honestly like a spider. It's pretty weird seeing those fingers be so dexterous and so nimble. Kind of creepy, but pretty cool. Uh, so you can climb on basically any vertical surface and any horizontal surface. You cannot go underneath something. So, for example, if you're looking at a cube floating in the midair and you jump on the cube, you can walk on all sides of the cube and the top. You can transition from top to the side, but you cannot walk on the bottom. You'll fall off if you go to the bottom. So pretty, pretty flexible. Lots of options. Each level is basically just like these weird concoctions of like ramps and platforms and stacked objects and chains and floating boxes and all sorts of like clouds and like whatever. There's just like random, again, uh, kind of following the example set by Mr. Koo, we've got some dream logic stuff here. There's like a, a stack of CDs that you're going to be climbing kids. Those CDs are like plastic things that music is to be on in case you don't know what a CD is. Um, you know, there's like skateboard, there's ice, the developers just throw like all sorts of random shit into the mix and your job in each level is just to get from point A to point B. Uh, but along the way, it's not just the, the challenges of platforming. There's a lot of really tricky jumps. Starts out very easy, super easy. And it, and you think you're going to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to blow through this. But then they ramp up the difficulty as you go, which I think is great. It gets uh, slowly harder and harder, but not crazy hard. I mean, I uh, I feel like I've died a few times, but it's never been like, oh, I'm so mad. It's always just like, oh, that was a tricky jump. Or, okay, let me try that again. Um, checkpoints are super generous. I think you usually just appear right in the last place where you were before you died. And you just try again. There's like a score attack kind of a thing. So I guess the real penalty of dying is that you just don't get the best score or you don't get the best time. But I don't give a shit about that. I just enjoy playing these levels. There's also usually one or two little hidden objects in each level. They're thimbles. And if you collect these thimbles, they're usually hidden behind something or on a faraway island. You got to figure out how to jump to or something like that. They're usually pretty obvious, which I appreciate. Uh, and just getting them is the task. Once you get those, you can unlock some different things for your hand. You can unlock watches, rings sweatbands, nail polish colors, uh, a few other things that kind of like just customize your hand. You don't need this stuff. It's all bonus. It's all extra. But if you want it, it's there, which is great. But really, the meat of this game is just the navigation. And I think it's really fun. I think it's fun moving this hand all around. You feel like really capable and really, um, I don't know, just sticking to walls and jumping and climbing around and seeing those fingers move is really fun. I like the platforming challenge. I like the abstract uh, aspect of it where you climb up a box into the sky and then there's like an icy ramp that you slide down and you jump off. And there's like a skateboard and you ride the skateboard and you jump on top of like a barbecue grill or whatever. And, you know, just all sorts of weird stuff like that where you just you just know it's not supposed to be serious. It's not supposed to be really about the story or anything. It's just about the mechanical joy of moving this sticky hand around, which I think is pretty fun. I think it's really good. I really enjoying it. I'm doing a couple levels a night. It's actually much longer than I thought it was going to be, which I think is fine. Uh, but each level can be between, you know, I don't know, five minutes or something like that. Maybe less. I'm sure they're going to get a little bit longer as I go. But, you know, about five minutes per level, give or take. 
really bite-sized, really easy. You can totally pick it up, put it down. Um, nothing to remember other than just, you know, the fact of how you move the hand around. Uh, I think it's really well done. I think it's really cute. I think it's a great fit for the Switch, which is where I'm playing it. It's given me the kind of action that I enjoy. Uh, and I think it's just, uh, just a really fun, weird-ass little thing just to see that hand. Even just seeing the hand is worth the price of admission. Uh, but doing these levels, I think, is great. It's just the kind of physical, tactile, bite-sized, low-commitment thing that I love to play when I'm in bed on the Switch. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to remember a story. I don't want to have to read a, a codex. I don't want to have to equip anything. I just want to just play something. I want my hands to be busy for a little while. And that's exactly what Super Adventure Hand is. It's just this little, this little, like, little activity you can do for five or ten minutes and put it down, had a good time, come back to it the next day, continue to have a good time. Uh, I, I love these. I love it. I love it. I think this is exactly what I wanted. It fits the bill exactly. If any of what I said sounds uh, appealing or interesting, check it out. I think it's... Uh, we don't get a lot of these lately, and I think they are something that I really kind of enjoy. This particular, like, you know, low-commitment kind of uh, tactile physics activity. It's good stuff. I enjoy this a lot. Super Adventure Hand is definitely a thumbs up. Definitely recommend, and I'm having a blast. The only other game to talk about for the rest of the show is a revisit... I, believe, I think that's Carlos texting me right there, uh, is Cyberpunk 2077, uh, the 2.0 update along with uh, Phantom Liberty. Uh, we've talked about it a bunch, and I apologize, but I'm going to talk about it some more. So I feel like I kind of have to talk about this because it's just taking up so much of my time. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a good way. Uh, this is one case where Carlos was exactly correct. It's really a great game, and I'm really enjoying it so much. Uh, I think at this point, I'm probably 30 hours deep into it, which is nuts. I mean, uh, in the short amount of time I've been playing it, that kind of really speaks to how much time I've been putting into it each day. Um, and I just have really, really been enjoying it. Um, I was speaking to John from over at Gaming in the Wild, and he was having a somewhat buggy experience. Uh, but I believe he said he was using a pre 2.0 save file and he was having some glitches and weirdness and stuff. Uh, just for the record, I am, I started after 2.0. I've never played the original pre 2.0 content. So my save was post 2.0, um, with Phantom Liberty. And I think in the entire 30 hours I've played so far, I've only seen like two bugs in one, in one point, there was a guy in a cutscene who was supposed to be leaning up against a car and the car was like maybe two feet away from him. So he was kind of like, leaning in space and it lasted like maybe like 10 seconds or something like it was not even really a big deal and i think in one section i saw a car that was like floating that should have been floating and that was again like a like a i don't know 30 seconds kind of a deal not even really worth mentioning and if i hadn't been looking for it i'm not sure that i would have even really noticed but other than that it's been bug free i mean really tight everything works as it should um the ai is working Missions are working. Um, nothing that I've seen has been whack or weird or crazy in any of the ways that the game was reported to be before 2.0, especially at launch. So if anybody's still wondering if the game, if this game is still busted, no, it's not busted. It works just fine. There's no bugs. And in fact, in the trailer for Phantom Liberty, the DLC, at the very end, uh, it has Idris Elba, uh, who is uh, the new star of this content. At the very end of the trailer, he says, the game is fixed. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that they uh, kind of took the piss at themselves, right? Where, um, 
you know, they knew everybody was saying the game was broken, it was rough, and it was janky. So he's right. The game is fixed. It is fixed. Uh, I was a person who was willing to wait a year or plus to, to play a good version of it, and I'm glad I waited because that's exactly what he got. This version is fixed. It's good to go. So don't have any apprehensions there. This is polished. Looks great. Uh, no bugs. Everything works. It's beautiful. Um, you know, I have nothing to compare to previously, but based on everything I've heard, all the complaints I've heard, none of those complaints are valid for me. All Everything is, is working as intended. I will say it's been interesting because um, I don't usually get into first person games, but I do think it kind of makes a sort of sense for this one because the game is so vertical in some ways and there's so many interior locations. It would have been pretty tough to do that with a third person camera. So I get it. Um, third person camera is still my favorite. I think I would prefer a Witcher style presentation, uh, but it's, it's making it work for me and I'm definitely in for sure. Uh, even though I give the pass to most first person games, but I will say I am playing this one differently than I thought I would. I don't, I didn't expect to, to do the character that I'm doing right now. I, I wasn't sure, you know, Carlos had told me about the melee and I do enjoy the melee sometimes. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'll do guns or maybe I'll be a hacker. I don't really know what. I know I don't really like to do stealth that much, but I don't want to just like brute force my way through the game because there's probably a lot of nuance. And I just, I just wasn't really sure like, like what direction I wanted to go or what was going to appeal to me. Now that I'm 30 hours in though, I definitely feel like I did not expect to put as many points into intelligence as I did where I'm doing a lot of, um, hacking but the hacking kind of goes it goes in a different direction than I expected before I started playing the game really what I end up doing is hacking is almost like magic in this game where you can come up to a group of enemies and yeah you can hack into some computers and get some extra dollars or something uh, but basically you like you hit the L1 button I'm playing on PlayStation 5 the L1 you look around the screen anything you can interact with is highlighted and I guess you have Wi-Fi built into your head and so you can like make cars drive you can explode gas tanks you can um I don't know, do like, you know, turn off security cameras, which is fine. And I, I don't know that I would use it as much as I do if it was just that. But in addition to that, um, there's also the ability to hack into people's cyber implants. And that's really what I use it the most for. So if there's a whole group of enemies, you can walk up to them and use one of the hacks. One of the best ones, I think, is called Contagion, where you have this like virus that goes in their um, system. It does damage over time and it also spreads to anybody who is next to them. So if you've got a group of like 10 people that might be tough to take down on your own, you hit one of them with a contagion or a couple of them with contagion. They start doing damage over time to themselves and then they get, give it to everybody else and they start getting sick and then they all just like fall down dead. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. I love that. You can also overheat people. You can turn off their eyes. It's one of my favorite things in the game. You reboot their optics. So anybody that has bionic eyes, you go up to them, you shut off their eyes so they can't see anything. And then you just like go up and like whack them and shoot them and stuff. So being able to interact with enemies in that way has been really appealing and really, really fun too. turn off people's guns, uh, turn off their legs. They can't walk. If they have bionic legs, shut off their legs and they just like stand in place uh, or anything like that. If they have superpowers like bionic blades or something, you can shut those down and stop them from attacking you in their preferred way, which is amazing. It's really fun. I don't know that I've ever played a game that made me feel exactly the way that this does interacting with the, the cyber implants like this. So I've really poured a lot of points into the cyber stuff. And along with that, um, I think doing the different bionic implants of my own, uh, where you're getting like stronger arms, you get a double jump implant, you can get a dash implant, you can get implants that revive you if you get killed. So there's a pretty good amount of stuff to do. I will say I don't care for the skill tree that much. Um, a lot of the skills I'm getting are kind of like difficult to understand. And some of them seem like they have like middling returns, like, 
oh, plus five download for this thing or like plus seven damage of this thing over here. A lot of those feel kind of middling and I just don't really care for them that much. I wish they were bigger swings on some of the skills like um, I, don't, I don't know what that would be. But like I, I see a lot of the, the skills and I'm like, eh, I'm not really into these. I think just the core powers are pretty interesting and I, I, I take the skills that enhance my core powers. But it's not like I'm really looking forward to anything up the skill tree. And in fact, a lot of the, the end skills. When you get to the top tier stuff, I'm just like, oh, whatever. I don't really care about that. It doesn't really seem to really fit my play style or it doesn't really seem that exciting. So I think maybe um, the skills could be a little bit more dramatic. But that's, I mean, it, that's kind of a complaint, but it's also not really a complaint because I think the core gameplay is so fun and so interesting on its own. I think just using the the hacking and the, the various weapons you come across is really, uh, really fun enough on its own. Um, I will say though that as I'm playing this, I, I love it. I think it's really fun and good. I don't know that it's going to replace Witcher 3 as my favorite. And I think for a couple reasons, um, I think that there are too, there's too much text in the game. Uh, they often will have like files scattered all around the world. Like, like in every room, there's like a file you can pick up and it just gives you like a paragraph about something. And I just, I just don't want to do that much reading in a game. So I feel like a lot of the side quests that you do, um, would be better if they were like animated, um, instead of having you read a file or something. And and to be fair, there's a lot of animation. There's a lot of talking to people. You get a lot of animated phone calls. You get a lot of, you know, brief cutscenes with people. But there's also a lot of text, too. And I wish the text was just, like, less. I just don't get a lot of enjoyment out of, like, reading, you know, quest logs and lore logs and little emails and stuff. I wish they would keep that to a minimum because I just feel like it's just not really that exciting. Um, I will say also one thing that I find irritating about this game is in a lot of the side missions, you have to find something. It's like find a piece of evidence, find um, a discussion log, find something. And I feel like they're not flagged very well. Like I often will be looking and looking and looking and looking. And I just don't see anything that's sticking out and I don't know what I'm looking for and I can't find it and I can't find it. And then I have to like look at an FAQ and like, oh, search this one body or go to this one computer or something. And then I find it and I'm like, okay, cool. I wish I had done that five minutes ago. Like it's, I wish they would just be very, very upfront about finding these things because I don't think it's the kind of game where you really want to spend that much time combing through environments. It's not like a detective game. It's not um, a kind of like, you know, super, super immersive sim where you're trying to take environmental clues and and really figure out things like it's it's it doesn't come off to me like that i really wish you could just scan a room have something be highlighted in yellow which they do most of the time and then just have the evidence right there and just kind of make it go a little bit quicker um there's been more than a few times when i've been stuck on something that i couldn't find that i end up like circling a room five six times and then i finally find the thing because it's tucked behind something or it's in a computer that i didn't look in the file for or whatever and it just feels like kind of a drag i wish they would just get rid of that stuff um don't enjoy that uh very much I will also say that I wish that some of the, uh, the the missions were kind of called out slightly differently. Um, if you don't know, there's, I think, like four tiers of missions in Cyberpunk. You have main story missions. These are like the awesome missions where like they're scripted. Uh, there's set pieces. You talk a lot with Keanu Reeves. That's not a spoiler because he's in like every fucking advertisement for this game. Um you may you know you a lot of dialogue a lot of like powerful moments with the characters that you meet so those are like awesome those are like great stuff story story missions those are the big ones then you've got side missions these ones almost all have a cool character a funny moment something interesting happens a twist in the gameplay maybe a couple jokes 
or whatever. But these ones are absolutely worth doing. And I think these are really great. Um, these are like some of my favorite moments are come from the side missions. Um, so those are those are fine. Those are good. Then you've got gigs. Uh, so gigs are the ones that I kind of had a little bit of a problem with. I wasn't sure exactly their significance at first, but now that I'm 30 hours in, they're basically just content there if you want to play the game more. If you want to level up, if you want to grind for stats, grind for materials, grind for money. These are, they're, they're all preset missions. They're not randomly generated or anything. Like they're all set, but you do these for different fixers. Fixers are people who have assignments in the city. And I just didn't quite understand how this was working for a while, but basically each fixer, like, like there's one in the north side, one in the south side, one in the east, one in the outlands, like whatever. Like each one has their own set of missions. And I didn't realize that at first. Um, I wish they were like color coded or something. So, for example, you'll look at the map and you'll see like a dozen fixer missions, these gigs. They're all over the city. And I was kind of just doing them at random. Like wherever I was, I would just do the closest one. And I did a bunch, dude. Like I got like really lost in these gigs, like doing them and doing them. Because like, I was like, are these building to something? Am I... Is there going to be a reward at the end? Like, what's going on? Like, I was getting money and I leveled up quite a bit, which was fine. But I, narratively, they weren't satisfying. And a lot of them are kind of similar. Like, a lot of them are like, go here and kill some people and then grab a thing, which is like, whatever. It's fine. And I like those when I'm in the mood for them. But I wanted, you know, like a payoff or something. But what I didn't realize was each fixer has their own eight or nine or ten missions. And you don't really advance anything until you've done those specific missions. But there's no way to tell which one is which until you're there. I kind of wish that they had color coded them. So, so for example, if you're working with the lady in the Badlands, if all her missions were red, then I would know, okay, if I do these eight red missions, then I will finish her missions and she'll probably give me a goodie at the end of it. And then that'll feel good. I'll feel like I did something. Or the guy on the West side, I wish all his missions were like green and I could do all the green dots. And then I would be like, okay, I'm just going to focus on these and all my efforts will be put towards something and I can finish his storyline up. And then I can, again, feel like I did something. What ended up happening was I was just doing them kind of at random and it felt like I wasn't advancing anything. And, and I wasn't because I was doing like two missions for one guy, three missions for one guy, one mission for this other person, one mission for this lady. And none of them were really like advancing. Um, and so once I finally figured out how to tell which mission was which, um, which was not as easy as it sounds, and it took me a while, then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to just focus on doing these for a while. And I, it kind of sucks because I was doing so many of them. I started to like lose momentum where I'm like, I, I started feeling like I was doing a lot of uh, missions that were too similar with too little reward, too many in a row. Because I, I kept driving towards, I want to see an end to this. I want to see the completion of this, but I, I wasn't focusing my efforts in the right direction. So that's on me. But also the game definitely could have been clearer about that, which um, I, I am clear about now. But still, I think some color coding or different shapes, if you're colorblind, would have been fine. Or just saying, hey, this is Fixer A's mission. This is Fixer B's mission. Just put some text on the missions just so you know which one's which. Something like that, I think, would be a great help. Because then you could like know what you were doing. It would make the structure of how these gigs work a lot better. And just, in general, more information for the players better rather than less. Uh, and the very bottom tier of content is just like the randomly generated stuff. There's a lot of it and you can do it if you want to, but it's just, you can like totally ignore it. Like you'll walk by, you'll get like a uh, robbery in progress and you can respond to it or not kill the bad guys or don't, or there'll be like somebody doing a drive by right next to you and you're not the target of it. It just happens there, but you can go, you know, kill them or arrest them or whatever if you want to do that. Or there'll be people throughout the city who are marked in yellow and those means those are criminals. And so you can arrest them anytime you want to, you can kill them anytime you want to. 
just if you see them walking around you can just go do randomly generated stuff like that that's like the the, the lowest tier of content that's just like if you've done literally everything else in the game and you still want to play just to use the mechanics or you want to level up some more or something that's what those are for i think those are pretty skippable most of the time i did a lot of them in the beginning because i was still learning the game but now that i know the structure of everything and the plays of everything i i'm fine to skip those for now um so I think the structure of those missions is good. I wish I had spent less time on the gigs and more time on the side missions. Uh, but, you know, what's done is done. I leveled up a bunch. So it wasn't like time lost or anything. Uh, but overall, I think I'm really, really enjoying this game quite a bit. I'm very excited to clear out some of the smaller stuff and focus on the meteor missions. I haven't even touched the Phantom Liberty side mission stuff yet. Apparently it's pretty beefy. Uh, that's where Idris Elba shows up. You get to a whole new section of town. I haven't done anything, nothing at all right there. So I've still got quite a bit left over. So I will say, even though I had some complaints in this particular episode, uh, I think Cyberpunk 2077 2.0 is great. Really enjoying the story. It's really sophisticated. Uh, great storytelling, great moments, uh, great emotion. Um, some Lots of comedy, really interesting stuff. And if you're looking for something that has like the Grand Theft Auto kind of open world runaround structure... But with, um, you know, more calories, more more dense richness, more sophistication. Um, I think that this is it. I'm really having a great time with it. And I will say I am really, really, really glad that I waited. Um, it probably would have been an OK experience in the beginning, but I don't deal well with bugs. I don't deal well with glitches and stuff. And I just want the finished product for everything. And I'm glad that I waited. I think this is absolutely the perfect time to get into Cyberpunk if you haven't already. I'm having a blast. I think this game is much better than I thought it was going to be. And I feel like it's a bug-free experience. Tons of content. Um, and my only caveat to you, if you haven't played it yet, just, just understand the structure of the missions and pace those out accordingly. Do what feels right to you, but you've got story missions with the most story, side missions with less story, but still very story heavy. You've got gigs, which are very story light, but lots of stuff to do. And then you got your random stuff, which is just, you know, just mechanical kill dudes, get stuff. Nothing really to it. But if you want to play, that's what they're there for. So just know that ahead of time. Pace yourself. Do what you want to do. Know that that exists. But Cyberpunk is fucking great. I'm definitely going to have this on my year end top 10 for sure. That's a lock. And I'm definitely looking forward to putting more time into it later today. So good, good stuff. And that is going to do it for the main content of the show. So they, the, the game portion of our show is officially done, but I do have a few non-game things to mention this week. It's pretty light as far as the last stuff before we go, but I do have a, a couple things to talk about here. All right, just as a quick uh, shout out for a movie, which was on Netflix, it's called We Have a Ghost. Uh, has Anthony Mackie, who was uh, the Falcon in the Marvel shows. Uh, great actor, I love him. He has a family who move into this giant house, like enormous fucking house. It's haunted with, um, oh shoot, the guy from Stranger Things, um, the white guy who plays the sheriff. I forget what his name is. It escapes me at the moment. But anyway, it's a really interesting thing because the house is haunted, but it doesn't go the way you think it would. Uh, this family moves in. One of the kids meets the ghost. And rather than being scared, he's like really curious and kind of makes friends with him. And they kind of... Um, trying to figure out why he is the way he is. But also, he blows up on social media. They post videos of him on YouTube and on Instagram. And he gets, like, millions of followers. He becomes a social media sensation. It's kind of like an examination of, like, what life is like in modern times with all the social media available to us. Um, and so what, what would that be like? But then also, you know, the problems inherent with that. 
there's also like a government conspiracy because they want to control the ghost and do that. And Tig Nataro, the comedian, is one of the researchers who shows up. She does a great job. Um, and it's just a really fun, fun movie. It's probably best if you have a family because I think it's definitely in that zone of where they're talking about some family issues. Uh, the family, honestly, in the beginning of the movie sucks. They're like not very nice to each other, but they kind of improve as the movie goes on. That was a little tough to watch. I don't like to watch families who are not nice to each other. Um, but I think uh, it's a great story. It's an interesting story. I felt some feelings at the end of it, which was great. And overall, uh, just a really interesting, new and different spin on a traditional haunted house story. It's it's not at all like any other ghost story I've seen. Updated for modern times, modern sensibility, and the digital age. It's, it's pretty fascinating in, in many ways. So I had a great time with it. It's called We Have a Ghost. That is on Netflix. Finally, I want to circle back to um, Beauty and the Beast, starring Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton, which was on CBS back in the mid-80s. This was in large part created by uh, a couple of writers working in in conjunction with George R.R. Martin, which I didn't even realize until we started watching. I talked about this a while ago, um, and now we are in the final season. We only have 10 episodes left of the whole series before it ends. And I wanted to circle back because this was a really interesting show. It starts off as Linda Hamilton is this lady who gets attacked uh, by these muggers or something. She gets picked up by Vincent, who is like half man, half lion, and he lives in the sewers of New York. He finds her after she's all cut up and stuff, and he brings her down into the underground and nurses her back to health. And you find out that there is like basically like a medieval fantasy world underneath New York where... The further the series goes, the more you can see George R. R. Martin's influence and along and the other influences of the writers where it's not just like people living in a sewer. There's like caverns and magical waterfalls and ghostly voices and all sorts of goings on many levels like it goes super far down. Like it's basically like this whole other world. Uh, Everybody wears like leathers and, you know, they read Shakespeare all the time and they have. Uh, festivals with ale and stuff down beneath. It's pretty wild once they get a further patch into season one where they have the ability to kind of flesh out the world um, down below. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting and it's really grown over time. However, the one thing that really bugged me about this series was Catherine and Vincent obviously love each other, but since Vincent is like half lion, he looks like a lion. Um, and by the way, the makeup, I believe it was Rick Baker who did the makeup fucking incredible even for like the mid 80s the the applications they put on ron perlman are fucking insane like i know a thing or two about special effects makeup um and seeing the work they did on his face i'm just like holy shit like rick baker fucking killed it like you can get so close on the makeup you never see any seams you don't see any folding or wrinkling ron perlman can absolutely emote like like a motherfucker through that makeup it holds up so well, no matter what lighting he's in, no matter like what angle he's at. Oh, dude, it's fucking killer. It's like one of the best makeup applications I've ever seen. Anyway, what kills me is that Catherine and Vincent love each other, but they, they never kiss and they never hang out. They never sleep with each other. I think part of it is because at that time in the 80s, that was seen as like bestiality or or weird furry action. And that just was like a no go on network TV. So I think that was definitely part of it. But the writers never established like a good reason why they couldn't be together. Catherine lives alone. Vincent could feasibly 
show up and chill with her every night if he wanted to. He's always on her patio. like, And she lives like 20 stories up in a skyscraper. So number one, how the fuck are you getting up there? But number two, you're on her patio. All you got to do is open the door and walk inside. You can be chilling on her couch. You can have coffee with her. You guys could go to bed with each other if you wanted to. But he never does. He lives underground in this fantasy world beneath the sewers. She goes down there all the fucking time. It's like, why don't you just stay there for a night? Bring a toothbrush. Bring a change of clothes. You could have a nice sleepover with Vincent. It would be great. She never does. And so it's just really frustrating because this is like a heavily romantic, really emo series where they're basically just kind of like, like a lot of angst, right? A lot of like yearning going on here, yearning. Um, And so... It's just really frustrating why they don't ever get together. And I think that at the end of season two, the writers finally came up with a reason. Um, aside from the CBS board of standards and practices not wanting a woman to see a woman kiss an animal, uh, they just they kind of hinted like Vincent having some emotions or like strong reactions sometimes. And so they don't really go into it. They don't really express it very well. But in the very ending of season two, and this is like a 40-year-old series, so I'm not going to be too worried about spoilers, but... He, he has like this kind of like emotional breakdown where like his beast side takes over and they kind of lean into that for like an episode or two. And in that context, it does kind of start to make sense as to why he might not trust himself to do the dirty with Catherine or why he might not want her to sleep over. Um, because he seems at this particular point in the series that he's kind of wrestling with his animal side and it takes a lot of his focus to kind of stay more human than animal. Okay, cool. That's a cool premise. I get that. I wish that they had introduced that two seasons ago because then it would have made sense why they're not kissing, why they're not having sex, why they're not sleeping over, why they're not hanging out more. But they just, they, they kind of danced around it. And to be perfectly frank, it seems like the writers didn't really crystallize that concept until almost the end of the second season. It took them that long to like kind of put the pieces together in a way that made sense. So I, I'm glad they got there because it kind of recontextualizes everything that we've seen up until this point in the full two seasons that we watched. But I kind of wish they had gotten there sooner because there was lots of times when I was like, what is going on? Why are they not kissing each other? What is happening? How come they're not spending more time together? They always talk about they love each other, but they barely even hug. Like, what's going on? And if they had introduced this emotional aspect, I think it would have filled in a lot of those gaps. It would have made more sense. It would have... It would have helped me suspend disbelief a little bit more. And I feel like ultimately like it works like, you know, rather than any other kind of magical reason or any kind of other reason that they could have cooked up. This one makes a lot of sense when you finally see everything laid out and when Vincent finally admits that he's going through these these emotional problems. I just I'm glad they got there. I just wish they would have done it sooner because now um, I think I have a different appreciation for the series. But there's only 10 episodes left and that kind of sucks. So <laughs> I guess it is what it is. You can't go back in time and change things, but that's that's the way it goes. So anyway. All right, folks, that is it. That is a show. Um, before we close, I would love to ask you all to please leave reviews, share us on social media. And most important of all, please recommend us to your friends. We are trying to improve the visibility of the show. We would love to get a couple likes, a couple shares, retweets, anything got, reskeets, whatever you want, blue sky, anything. Um, if you would just spread the word, we would be ever so grateful. And as always, we want to get your questions and comments. Hit us up. SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up individually. I am on Twitter, such as it is, Blue Sky, and I'm also on Instagram where I talk about toys most of the time. Action figures! You can hit me up at any one of these places. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And that is going to do it for episode 
356. Thank you again for joining me here on the Soviet Games Podcast, and I'll see you next week.